Good morning and welcome to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce. The song that you just heard is Mr. Thomas Brown, an elder of the Alem Pomo tribe, singing a two-step dance song. Sinthamana, Pikabitamde, I am your host, Keishi Corrine Pierce. I'm a local Pomo basket weaver, traditional artist, herbalist, dancer, storyteller, and cultural educator with ancestry from Lake and Mendocino County tribes. Yawi, thank you for joining me this cold and somewhat rainy morning uh, to take a closer look at some of the amazing people, places, and events that make our home in Mendocino County um, unique and rich. I'm grateful to be able to share some of my personal heroes and friends who happen to be some of the most influential movers and shakers in our local indigenous communities and beyond. I'm grateful for the opportunity to introduce today's guest, Chairman Reno Franklin, to have you here today. Um, it's so awesome. Thank you for joining me. We're not going to talk to you right now. <laughs> we'll have to do check your sound in a second. Um, and we're going to be chatting with him in just a little while. But before we have the pleasure of hearing from our guest today, I want to share a history lesson, uh, which I usually do. So November is Native American Heritage Month. And I um, would like to share how that came into being. So Native American Heritage Month has evolved from its beginnings as a week-long celebration when President Reagan proclaimed the week of November 23rd through the 30th, 1986, as American Indian Week. Four years later, in 1990, President George H.W. Bush approved a joint resolution, resolution designating November 1990 as National American Indian Heritage Month. Similar proclamations under variants of the name, including Native American Heritage Month and National American Indian and Alaska Native Heritage Month, have since been issued. Every president since 1995 has issued annual proclamations designating the month of November as the time to celebrate the culture, accomplishments, and contributions of the people who were and are the first inhabitants of the United States. On October 8, 2008, President George W. Bush signed into law legis legislation introduced by the Democrat Congressman Joe Baca of California to designate the Friday after Thanksgiving as Native American Heritage Day. 
as a day to pay tribute to Native Americans for their many contributions to the United States. The Native American Heritage Day Bill was supported by the National Indian Gaming Association and 184 federally recognized tribes. The resolution also had unanimous support in the United States House of Representatives and Senate. The Native American Heritage Day Bill encourages Americans of all backgrounds to observe Native American Heritage Day through appropriate ceremonies and activities. It also encourages public elementary and secondary schools to enhance student understanding of Native Americans by providing classroom instruction focusing on the history, achievements, and contributions of Native Americans past and present. I'm going to read a few passages of this year's proclamation on National Native American Heritage Month 2022, released by the White House and signed on October 31st by President Biden. During National Native American Heritage Month, we celebrate indigenous peoples past and present and rededicate ourselves to honoring tribal sovereignty, promoting tribal self-determination, and upholding the United States' solemn trust and treaty responsibilities to tribal nations. America has not always delivered on its promise for equal dignity and respect for Native Americans. For centuries, broken treaties, dispossession of ancestral lands, and policies of assimilation and termination sought to decimate Native populations and their ways of life. But despite this painful history, indigenous people, their governments, and their communities have per persevered and flourished. As teachers and scholars, scientists and doctors, writers and artists, business leaders and elected officials, heroes in uniform, and so much more, they have made immeasurable contributions to our country's progress. We must do more to ensure that Native Americans have every opportunity to succeed and that their expertise informs our federal policy making. This is why my administration is engaging in meaningful consultation with tribal leaders, particularly when it comes to treaty rights, reserved rights, management and stewardship of federal lands, consideration of indigenous knowledge, and other policies that affect Native peoples. This is also why I appointed Sep Secretary Deb Holland to be the first ever Native American Cabinet Secretary, and why more than 50 Native Americans now serve in significant roles across the executive branch. As we look ahead, my administration will continue to write a new and better chapter in the story of our nation-to-nation -nation relationships. We will defend tribal sovereignty, self-government, self-determination, and the homelands of tribal nations. We will support tribal economies, recognize that tribal governments provide a vast array of physical infrastructure, social services, and good-paying jobs that benefit their citizens and surrounding communities. We will keep fighting for better health care, child care, education, and housing in tribal communities. We will always honor the profound impact Native Americans continue to have in shaping our nation and bringing us closer to the more perfect union we know we can and must be. Now, therefore, I, Joseph R. Biden, Jr., President of the United States of America, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the Constitution and the laws of the United States, do hereby proclaim November 2022 as National Native American Heritage Month.
I urge all Americans, as well as their elected representatives at the federal, state, and local levels to observe this month with appropriate programs, ceremony, and activities, and to celebrate November 25th, 2022 as Native American Heritage Day. You can find the full proclamation at www.whitehouse.gov. All right. History lesson over. If you haven't already planned what you're doing um, to celebrate Native American Heritage Month, don't worry. I ha you have plenty of time, and I have a couple of suggestions to help you out with that. First, learn. Learn about the natives where you live. Read books that talk about the true history of the land that you inhabit, and read contemporary books written by living natives. Um, listen to radio shows and podcasts that are created by indigenous people. If you are reading a book about Native Americans, try to choose books that are written by Native Americans and not by people who are writing about us. Second, support Native-owned and Native-run businesses. Christmas time is coming, and we have several Native businesses and artists in our area that I'm sure would be happy to have your support. We have a saying in Indian country, support inspired natives not native inspired and what that translates to is to buy from an actual native person creating the items that you want not from a large box store that's simply putting native patterns on what you want to buy or even worse from someone who is copying native art which is not only rude but is actually illegal According to the Indian Arts and Crafts Act of 1990, quote, it is illegal to offer or display for sale or sell any art or craft product in a manner that falsely suggests it is Indian produced, an Indian product, or the product, uh, or the product of a particular Indian or Indian tribe or Indian arts and crafts organ organization resident within the United States, end quote. If you see non-native folks selling art and representing it as native art, it's always good to let them know because the penalties for misrepresenting native art are steep. A $250,000 fine and up to five years in prison for the first offense and up to one million for repeated offenses. Yikes, so let's just not do that. Third, find out what events are happening in your area, such as tribal and community gatherings, public ceremonies, educational workshops, craft shows, and art exhibits, and support them. Which brings me to two wonderful opportunities to celebrate and, and admire Native culture and art in our local community. If you haven't made your way to the Grace Hudson Museum in Ukiah uh, for the current exhibit, Gathering Time, Pomo Art During the Pandemic, you should most definitely check it out. Um, it is truly a breathtaking collection of art from traditional con and contemporary. Uh, you have to see it really to, to believe how beautiful it is. I'm honored to have a few baskets included in the exhibit. And on Saturday, November 19th, there will be an artist panel with basket weavers from 1 to 2 p.m., uh, Mio Marufo, who was last month's guest, is the curator of the exhibit and will be joined on the panel by Silver Galetto, Robin Mealy, Martina Morgan, and me. I'm excited to be included on the panel, and I can't wait to hear what the artists have to say about the amazing and sacred art of pomo basketry. That exhibit will be on display at the museum until January 15th. 
Another great way to celebrate Native American Heritage Month is to head to the Corner Gallery in Ukiah. There are two exhibits happening there uh, for the month of November. In the front windows, you can see a display highlighting the Pomo Weaver Society and the important work that they are doing in the realm of cultural preservation and knowledge dissemination. In the same building, the Art Center in Ukiah has an, an exhibit titled Our Safety, Our Sovereignty. And this exhibit showcases the work of local indigenous artists using textiles as a means of sharing culture and stories. I had the honor and pleasure of working with several amazingly inspired and talented folks for almost a year on this project. The artists were able to share profoundly deep stories in a way that was new to almost all of us uh, that worked on this project. I think that the end result is definitely worth seeing. Be sure to stop by and take a look at the beautiful and rich art that was created. Both exhibits come down on November 29th, so you want to make sure to go see that. Yay! We are at my favorite part of the show, the part where I get to introduce our wonderful guest. And if I said Reno Franklin was a busy man, that would be the understatement of the year. When I asked him to be on the show, he sent me a list of 14 things that he is currently involved with. And I know from seeing him, just seeing him on Facebook and his social media, that that barely scratched the surface of what he's doing. Um, when I, when I, um, <laughs> think about Reno. I know I could never catch him down. So I was so excited to have him on the show. And um, I'm so excited um, for him to be here. I've only had two shows with one guest. And I called them um, Tea Time with Auntie. And I was joking about calling this show Coffee with Uncle. And I'm so excited, Reno, um, to have you here. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Um, and you're my only guest, so we're talking to you all morning. All right, cool. Uh, you can hear me, right? Yes, I can. And my Iwa, Toshis Jima, Emta, Reno, County, Franklin. Um, I am uh, chairman of the Kashaya Pomo tribe. Um, kind of um, an all around, it's kind of chill Indian person. And, uh, and, and like you, uh, I am doing all I can uh, for the betterment of Indian people. So I think that, you know, whether or not I seem busy, which, you know, of course I am, but at the same time, it's like, uh, aren't we all? And if we're not, then what the hell are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should definitely be doing stuff. So I had a big list of things to talk to you about, but I really wanted to start with the work that you're doing in historic preservation and sacred site protection. Mm -hmm. um, those things are very um, important to me. So I want to hear about what you are doing, uh, your involvement in those issues. Yeah. So um, in uh, 2017, I don't know, 20 something. Um, I was appointed by um, then-President uh, Barack Obama to serve uh, as the Native American, Native Hawaiian representative on the Advisory Council for Historic Preservation um, and uh, and have maintained uh, that presidential appointment. I'm, it's kind of weird that it's like uh, in my third presidential administration doing that, which is very strange, um, as an appointee with you know, presidential authority vested in me. Um, so... Yeah, I made it through uh, Trump. I'm currently serving in Biden. Um, you know, at the end of the uh, Obama administration, we put some things together. 
I was, I mean, we, we, it just like federal initiatives take a really long time. So the advisory council, um, what we do is we develop historic preservation policy for the United States. We advise both uh, Congress and the president, which is a rare thing on, um, on what is best for the history of the country. So um, during the uh, Trump years, some of the more high profile stuff, um, we issued an opinion on the, Dakota Access Pipeline um, that was later used uh, to sue um, the the uh, Department of Interior and Dakota Access Pipeline. Excuse me, not Interior, um, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers, and uh, and so uh, because we're the expert opinion that that lawsuit um, was successful. So um, just so, so then you you probably were the ones that um, also stopped um, um, Oak Flat. From going through and the destruction of Oak Flat, uh, so so that's kind of like some of the the recent stuff. At least under uh, Trump, I think the other thing was, um, you know, it was our opinions on what to do with the Confederate monuments, and uh, you know, and then removing those from federal lands, um, not destroying them because I really don't think you should either. But they don't need to be displayed. And that was the that kind of was the end opinion. Was like put them in a museum. Um, just like you would with a genocide museum and uh, point out that, hey, this is rotten, dirty stuff. And, you know, if, if you if you turn your back and pretend like it didn't exist, then uh, it'll it'll happen again. And we're certainly seeing that. So um, more recently, like I was saying, is at the end of the Obama administration, we worked on a thing called the Sacred Sites Memorandum of Understanding. And what that is, is a group of uh, federal agencies and then also. Um, like the Tennessee Valley Authority and some other, you know, large landholding companies. Um, and uh, it, it's an effort to develop best practices for sacred site protection, best practices for consultation, tribal engagement. Um, and that was uh, and has been very successful. The uh, current administration has re-upped that MOU and expanded it significantly. Um, <clears throat> Treaty rights MOU is another one. It's a big thing. Wanting federal agencies to be more respective to treaties and treaty rights of, of those tribes who uh, enjoy that luxury. Um, I think there's only three of us in California. Um, Kashaya certainly is one of them. And Pachanga and Tule River, I think, are the other two. But I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure those are the other two. Um, and so because uh, you know, Kashaya signed our treaty with the Russians and the way that property law works, you think of treaties like easements. Um, they come with the property when you take it. And so in the case of uh, of uh, the state of California and uh, the country, um, Kashaya signed a treaty in 1812, Treaty of Hagenmeister, with uh, with the Russians. It wasn't yet yet a state yet, so it didn't come a state for another you know 37 years or whatever it is. So um, yeah, you know, I mean, that's kind of like scratching the surface of what's really happening right now. There's a lot of proposed exemptions from federal law. There's oh man, there's also a lot of really good stuff that's coming on. Um, the advisory council, we have the state historic preservation officers, uh, you know, and so we have their representative for all of them. And, uh, and we have, you know, every federal agency has uh, an FPO, a federal preservation officer who's, you know, understands the, how to treat historic property. So what that all means is that we have incredible access to information that others won't. And so um, we've, we've leveraged that authority to, uh, to enter into the boarding school space and uh and ask federal agencies and shippos um to pony up information on uh 
where uh, boarding school uh, records are, and because that's the tough part, is getting the records for the kids. And uh, and so that has uh, been starting to really yield some successful stuff as well. Um, if the churches won't give up the information, we'll find other ways. We'll get them. We'll get them all. <laughs> and so, so you know, so we're, we're doing, you know, there's that space. That, there's the changes to NAGRA, um, the Native American Graves um, Protection and Repatriation Act that are um, currently proposed. Um, some changes with the national park system. Um I think I'm just kind of scratching the surface. We just had our board meeting, and uh, and it was interesting. It was a, like the electric vehicle infrastructure exemptions uh, from federal law to 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 do the in, the installation of those things when there's ground disturbing actions actually passed, and uh, there was only two votes against it. It was myself and the the uh, NAFPO, the American uh, or the, what is it National Association of uh, Tribal Historic Preservation Officers. So you know we're winning some battles, we're losing some battles. Um, but I think overall, you know, uh, we're, we're winning a lot more, um, the end of his administration, Trump directed the CEQ, the council on environmental quality, uh, to come up with uh, a series of exemptions from federal law for installation of everything from, you know, chicken stands (laughs) to highways to anything in between. And, uh, and they did. They came up with about 340 of them. And the reason why that's significant is um, a majority of these things meant no consultations with tribes. So if you want to go build uh, something that was, uh, you know, oh God, I was just in Fort Bragg. So, you know, Fort Bragg, you can't touch anything without hitting an Indian site. And so imagine people being able to go in and get categorical exemptions from having to consult with tribes on building, you know, uh, a window manufacturer or you know any anything that his buddies were involved in um that almost that almost happened you know and and the, here's the trippy thing is in most cases at least we'll hear about it you know in this case you would have just seen somebody out there building and they would have been exempt from all federal law on that and including and unfortunately the most scary thing which would have been uh you know nagra or any any federal hooks so um yeah, you know, the, the the good, the bad thing was that Trump had them do that. The good thing was that Trump had them do it. So those were the first 340 things that the Biden administration reversed within a week of being, you know, installed. So it, it's stuff like that, you know, that we have to really watch for. And, and as, you know, as as the, the lone tribal rep, you know, the, the folks from NAFPO, uh, they represent TIPOs. Not every tribe has a TIPO. And so I'm the only one that's representing all Native Hawaiians, Native Alaskans, and, uh, or Alaska Natives, and, uh, and American Indian people. So um, so you kind of have to be on top of your game, I, I guess, right? <laughs> as much as possible. Better hope I get a good night's sleep at some point. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's like local screen. Awesome. Um, so I, I love listening to you talk. I always listen to you when you're on the radio and you're when you are testifying and doing all kinds of stuff. And I we didn't get a chance to talk because you were literally from one meeting to this meeting. And I was going to ask you because I love uh, I love when you tell stories, not, you know, made up stories, but stories of things that you've done. Like, I would love to hear uh one of your like what is one of your biggest wins when it comes to um sacred site protection historic preservation 
I mean, there's been there's been some some pretty big ones, you know, in my career. Um, certainly, Oak Flat is something that was important to me. Imagine having, uh, and I mean no disrespect to to my brothers and sisters from the lake um, and all their little webbed feet, but um, imagine having somebody say, "Hey, we found copper inside of Mount Kanakta." we're going to mine it. <laughs> okay. You know, and that's the equivalent of what Oak Flat is in, in size as well. This is about the same size of a mountain. Um, I think actually Oak Flat is a little bigger. But so in the course of doing that, they're going to go down and strip it piece by piece from the top all the way down until the mountain's gone, completely gone, no longer there forever. Uh, and all the copper will be gone, and God only knows what kind of, you know, pollution goes in and all that kind of stuff. And that's basically what all of these Apache tribes and, and I think some of the uh, the pies as well. Um, and you had like these twenty three tribes, and two of them said, "Okay, we'll do it. Yeah, go ahead and take it out." And in return, they were going to build them an elementary school and a, a, a basketball gym. <laughs> and so. Those two tribes all of a sudden spoke for all the others, right? So everybody's freaking out. And they're like, oh, my God, you can't do this. And so at the time, um, you know, it was the transition uh, between uh, the uh, um, Trump administration and the Biden administration. And and that was just going about as crappy as possible, right? You know, um, and there, but there was my counterpart who was a Trump, uh, a Trump appointee and uh, and Biden had the chair of the ACHP leave. So now this was number two in line. And so he became the chair uh, de facto for the advisory council. And everybody was like, oh my God, because Trump's passed on his way out. Trump was like, get this done. I want this done in the next, you know, whatever with this hair flopping all over and his orange. But, uh, and so he started pushing it and it was like his, his, his on the way out thing. Um, a whole bunch of stuff happened in between. Um, that guy is actually a friend of mine, and he, and he happens to live on the same street as as uh, Trump and Marlago, and so he calls me up. He says, "Reno, what's our stance going to be on this?" And I was like, "Bro, we can't let this happen, man. Like, just no matter what, this can't happen." He goes, "Tell me what to do. I don't care. I'm only going to be here for a couple minutes anyway. Everybody's going to hate me, but I'll do it. I'll do the right thing." And he did. And so we asked him, "Don't sign," because there was we were the last signers. Advisory Council was on the MOU that would have allowed the work to start within like a week. And so he was, he refused to sign, but you know, there was all this other stuff that were happening. It was a clock that was ticking. The ACHP only had so long. And at the end of the day, it had to be uh, the forest service USDA and the forest service that was going to pull that. So they had a new tribal liaison. She happens to be a good friend of mine. She's still there. Heather Don Thompson. So Heather and I talked, and I was like, Heather, you've got to talk to your guys' uh, new secretary and tell him like first two hours that he's in, he has to revoke this MOU and the requirement for the ACHP to sign it. Otherwise, there's nothing I can do to stop it. And uh, so between me, her, and Rick, we had about eight hours to get that done. And uh, and we did. And so it's been stopped. There's legislation proposed to reverse it. But in the meantime, just like knowing that that, that mountain, who, whether it's so sacred to so many tribes, you know, I think that's probably like like my, one of my, my favorite, you know, but I think like on a local level, just um, – you know, anything we can do to stop the wineries from putting stuff in in our area, 
I don't mind if they're being respectful. You know, if you ever see Kendall Jackson wine, just remember that those guys, they're literally huge buffers. They put 30-foot buffers around any archaeological site, sacred site that Kashai had. So we've always appreciated that. That's not the case with these bums like Peter Michael or just trashy wine, trashy white people. <laughs> I can't stand them that are doing that kind of stuff to our, our sacred. So some of those battles have been really hard-fought local and uh, and Kashaya victories, not always, but a lot of the time. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, you are listening to KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. We also stream live at kzyx.org. You are listening to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce and our special guest, um, Chairman Reno Franklin of the Kashaya Tribe. And we we're talking about some of the stuff that he is getting done for all of us, for all of our communities. Thank you so much for that. Um, I'm hoping that we can go a little bit further into um, the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. Um, a lot of people don't know what that is. And also, nobody can see Reno except me because <laughs> we're on the radio, but he's wearing his orange shirt. Um, and I'm hoping you can talk about that a little bit and, and about the work that you're doing there. Sure. So, I mean, so NAGPRA, you know, I mean, NAGPRA is a federal law. Um, it, it, it was uh, intended at helping us to, to repatriate our human remains and, uh, you know, sacred objects uh, that are held in museums and, uh, and learning institutions, with the exception of uh, the uh, Smithsonian, who wrote themselves out of it and have become a black market for selling and trading of uh, Indian artifacts. So, um, yeah, you, you know, it, it, it's, it was supposed to have compliance by a certain time. It never has. Um, it's kind of a bummer. Uh, archaeology as a profession uh, can be a great profession, but like so many other things, unfortunately, it's on the backs of Indian people. And, uh, and too often archaeologists forget that um, without us, they're nothing but theory. And uh, it's just an unfortunate thing. You know, a lot of our Indian stuff has been taken into various places, uh, institutions. Um, they were able to, uh, if the museum had it, it was one thing, but archaeological collections, they were hiding Indian uh, sacred objects and, and remains. Um, yeah, they did that in some cases reservations where people were watching them take it off and knew who the people were and knew their families, but they would say, Oh, they're not culturally we can't identify them culturally. So we don't have to repatriate it to anybody. So just all these uses to get around NAGPRA and compliance that they were doing and have been doing um, probably the, the biggest bum on the market without a doubt is the university of California. Uh, and that's system wide, except for UCLA Davis is trash when it comes to compliance. They'll do everything they can to say it's culturally unidentifiable. And then don't even get me started on UC Berkeley and the, you know, near 10,000 plus ancestors they, they keep and regularly experiment on. It's just disgusting. Um, Stanford's probably the best case scenario along with UCLA. The Stanford was a long time ago said, we don't want it. You can have it all back. <laughs> it's just gave it back to tribes, which is, and interesting to see a Republican school do that and a 
very liberal school be the exact opposite. You think that that would be two different things, but, um, you know, you can't really trust politics. But, um, yeah, so that's kind of NAGPRA in a nutshell. You know, there's Cal NAGPRA now where they're trying to um, remedy some of these things and have created bigger problems in the process. But, and you know, the the if they just give it all back, that'd be great. I think it's what we want. But uh, we're working on it. There's folks at the federal level and the state levels, a lot of, a lot of, uh, smart people and and just a lot of stubborn ones that are are, are working on stuff like that um you, you wanted me to talk about the boarding school initiatives or um you can but i'm i'm gonna interrupt you just i try not to interrupt too much but i was just reading an art an article recently that was talking about the universities and how many how much remains they have and i actually was really shocked um about berkeley <laughs> and i was also really shocked to read that there are um more Native American remains in universities than there are living Native Americans, and there's like a lot of us now. I mean, there's five million of us in the United States, and that's gross. That really grossed me out. Um, but yes, I was just wanting to share that. So go for it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, and that, you're right. I mean, uh, it's like this. There's like this ethical part to it, you know. I, I hear people a lot. They'll say like, well, you know, they'll tell these archaeologists or zoologists and they'll say like, uh, well, would you dig up your own grandmother? You know? And, uh, and I, I've, I've seen that happen and I've heard Indians say that. And I've seen some, some, some archaeologists say like, Oh, of course not. You know, but then I've seen these crazy ones that are just like, absolutely. In fact, my mom has an agreement that when she passes away, I'll be able to, you know, do these experiments on her and this and that. I'm like, dang, man, you Palat tribe people really are crazy. You know, like, geez, you know, what I mean? <laughs> grandma was right. So, so, you know, it's, it's like, you can't like fight an ethical battle against that. You know, there's no, there's no ethical outcome, no moral outcome for tribes when it comes to talking to people who um, view uh, life as science and life as data and when it comes to NAGPRA, that's our fight. Our fight is with those people. Our fight is with that evil woman who is an archaeologist from San Jose State who literally last year did an entire presentation intentionally knowing there were tribal people there and had boxes and boxes of human rain, remains in her house behind her as she did the presentation and talked about it. But that's real time, real, real happening as we speak. And you can fight the fight all you want against these people, but, you know, I probably Korean, the best thing to do is just pray for them because they're about as lost as lost gets. And, uh, you know, praying for them sometimes is praying that they go away. But, um, yeah, on the uh, philanthropy side, or, excuse me, not philanthropy, on the, because um, I do Native Americans and philanthropy too, trying to help out tribal orgs and stuff. But, um on the on the boarding school and Native American boarding school initiative, yeah, it's just you know, we have a, a an Indian secretary for the first time, right? And uh, that's just that's so dope, man. <laughs> we needed that, and you know there were like these people that were just like, oh, she needs to stay in Congress and this and that, and and those of us that really understood politics were just like, whatever, man, just just shut up, like let the big let the big boys and girls play in this in this sandbox y'all just sit outside for a little bit while we prepare it for you which is what we've done and which is what the secretary has done you know secretary holland and and all of her amazingness to have an indian woman there in charge at the helm of the agency that used to be the department of war 
that was, uh, you know, was instructed on the, how to commit genocidal acts against us. Um, you know, that we just couldn't ask for a better, better situation for Indian people. And so one of the first things that she did was, um, dive headfirst into this, you know, boarding school initiative and what happened at the boarding schools and how, how were our people treated and, you know, what are the impacts and then how are we like, how do we heal from it? And it's, you know, healing from these kind of acts, a big part of that is, is the return of the individuals or at least, at least the control over those individuals who died in those places. And so in the, in the case of Carlisle, you know, um, if you had a good friend who's been there, that's been um, a part of the excavation of some of those young, young people. And I apologize that I'm talking about another tribe's, you know, children that were murdered, but, um, you know, we talked about it and I was asking him like, yo, man, so how crappy is this? And he was, you know, he's an Indian too. And he's like, well, it's gotta be done. But he said, you know, Reno, we, uh, we only have a, a couple of the tribes that can repatriate because a lot of the other tribes, you know, it's, they can't culturally cannot dig up those children. It's, it's forbidden. And so it's just like, damn, man, like, you know, so one of the things about NAGPRA and about this boarding school stuff is that there's a difference between possession and control. And so what NAGPRA does is it allows us to take possession of things that we can. Kashai's got stuff at UC Berkeley that we can't take possession of because those individuals that would be responsible for putting that in the ground, we don't have that currently. And, or in some cases, the people they were stolen from are buried on other reservations. We can't, they were supposed to be buried with that person, right? So it's the same thing. Same thing with, with uh, what's happening with the boarding schools. You don't always have to take possession. Sometimes you can take control and you can say who can go near that, who cannot, um, that, you know, that, that at some point when it's culturally appropriate, we're going to come and take it and you guys are going to give it and nobody's going to say anything about it. That's what control is. It's, it's ownership. And so uh, in this case, with the boarding schools, we're starting to see more of that. Um, we're starting to see a, kind of like they're shedding a light on, you know, not just what was surprising to me was I always just thought the Catholic Church, yeah, Quakers got involved. And I thought, I was like, Quakers, like, aren't they supposed to be like nice little, you know, Thanksgiving evil people? But, nah, man, they were worse. They were just as bad, you know. And you can see what churches were running what. And, and you know, now we're starting to see the picture of how many kids they killed there and how much abuse was done. And uh, and so I think a big part of healing is reconciling that that you know stripping of stealing of uh, attempts to steal culture attempts to wrestle away uh, custody of our culture um, through abusing our children and I and I I like to remind people as unfortunate as it is it's like the kids weren't the only ones abused. The parents and grandparents and the uncles and the aunts that had to sit there and look at the empty table. Man, it's just like, like grandma said, Palachai people are evil. They had no souls. One of the they things. Over here, yeah. Know. One of the things is that, um, on Alcatraz were men who were trying to keep their children out of boarding schools. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. It wasn't just the children. And um, one thing that I always want to remind people is that it is, um, this went on for, 
you know, over a hundred years and that every living Native American that you meet now is impacted by that. Um, I am the great grandchild of a boarding school survivor and and it's not just great grandchildren. There are living survivors in their 60s, in their 70s, still with us. Um, ever, I, there's a quote that says every native person you meet is either a survivor, a grandchild of a survivor, or great grandchild of a survivor, or all three. So my, my mother, who's not that old, was actually taken on something, um, when she was young, all the native kids around here were taken on it, call, and we call it the assimilation vacation. Every summer they were taken away, and, um, you know, my mom's probably younger than a lot of people listening right now. And they were taking kids, you know, as young as three. And, and if you, and I will find this news article, it was in the Ukiah Daily Journal. And there's a little picture of my little mom, little tiny baby girl in her, in her dress. And it literally says in there how lucky these native kids are to be taken away from their, homes in during the summer and learn how to be and i will quote a real family yeah but that's not what they were taught they were they were taken away um they were basically being trained how to be domestic servants you know and field workers and they were eating food that didn't make them feel good and and all kinds of stuff my great-grandmother was taken when she was four and they had a you know the policy of of sending them so far away that they they couldn't get home um you know it is it's hard and i'm i don't envy you the work that you do because i would come home crying every day if i had to to do the work that you do i have i have just so you know and and sometimes when we um have to to listen to uh the survivor stories uh you know i'm a father before I'm a chairman for anything else. And I have daughters and sons and it's hard. It's hard to hear that as uh, I was warned, you know, and you think about Teresa Sheldon or Deb Parker and some of these strong women that are taking the roles, leadership roles in this nationally at the request of secretary Holland. Um, you just kind of sit back and say, okay, well, man up. <laughs> let's do what we're supposed to and have these conversations and find a solution and you know and, and uh the the, um, the native american uh, boarding school initiative it's got some legislation that's proposed and that that that's making its way through um and then i think also importantly is that you know they've they they take the steps to recognize some of these survivors and just send them you know care packages of love that's where that's where we win you know, we can bash the religions all we want, but just get in line. You know, bash the church all you want, but get in line. That's not the only bad thing they've done to us. But, um, you know, remembering that, but really focusing on uh, on how we heal from that, I think is the big thing. And here as a nation, how we heal from that, having a, an administration that understands uh, that, yeah, this was wrong, you know, to do and all the repercussions because of that. Everything's tied to it. Our alcoholism rates, our MMIW, MM, whatever acronym we're using to not say men, um, you know, every last thing that ailment that is in Indian country, 
it comes from that because, uh, you know, it's the traditional foods. So they have diabetic, you know, people that uh, are stuck with these commodity commod bods that is, is humorous to say, but also we know has uh, heavy uh, health impacts. So, you know, the healing from these things that ail us as a nation, as a tribal nations, as a whole, is a, is a big start to, uh, you know, helping out in the other areas, right? I mean, it's never going to be just one thing, but if the ultimate goal of people like myself and Deb and Secretary and, you know, so many others and President Biden, I mean, if the ultimate goal is for a healthy Indian community, well, then how are we going to do that? And there's a lot, a lot of fronts that that, that battle's fought on. And, uh, and it's going to be successes and, and failures, but um, this is a success, and this is being set up as that, and it's being set up as that because the Secretary of Interior is an Indian woman. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I'm going to try and make you tell another story before you go. And I'm hoping um, that you will share, because you are um, the chairman of Kashaya, and I know you do a lot. You've done a lot for the tribe. I'm hoping you will share one of your biggest wins as chairman um, locally. This is, kind of, this is going to sound like a joke, but it's actually really serious. Uh, my brother's my biggest win. Um, is setting up, you know, him for success. And so I did two terms, and then he took over after me for two terms. And pretty much his first first term was just, you know, picking up the ball from where I left it and, and seeing things through. And the second part, you know, and I remember we, we had a conversation about it, was just, you know, make this yours, right? Make your chairmanship your own. And, you know, pick the things that are good, uh, you know, help the things that need help and, uh, and, 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 you know, get rid of the things that we need to be rid of, you know, get rid of some of the drug dealers that were on the res and stuff like that, you know? And, and so, so yeah, so, you know, I mean, honestly, my biggest success story is, you know, his, his chairmanship and the work that he was able to do and his understanding from, you know, having a point of view that was his own, um, that was uh, also heavily influenced by mine and then, uh, and then became just his, which is, a progression that every tribal leader needs and if they don't have it then they're not good period end of story and so yeah yes probably has probably the most successful one for me uh I, on a personal level i think for uh for our, my tribe as a whole it's um there's a lot of stuff you know but i think probably the, the kashaya coastal reserve and, and having our land returned to us on the coast um you know just and in, in the significance of you know the state gave us money for that you know the county gave us three million towards it you know um it was just saying like look we don't want an easement on our own land this is not the place to do that there are places where we need to you know um, um certainly where our creation story is there at Danica. but uh but for the, the coastal reserve it was like now nah, we're gonna own this we will give you an easement by the way you're gonna pay for it too <laughs> and so uh so we did and there's just you know there was a point as you know a lot of people go up there to mushroom collect and i had seen a a mushroom collector up there and he was on our land you didn't think he was and uh and all the times that for on behalf of all kashaya people since these you know white people and mexican people have been on our land kicking us off of it not all of them are bad we just say that you know we've, we're blessed with really cool non-indian people that live in my ancestral lands really cool but they're not the non-cool ones man i I remember being kicked off, watching my grandma kicked off, you know, for picking huckleberries. And, uh, 
man, I, I, I didn't just throw that dude off. Like, I, I wanted to like tune him up. <laughs> I was like, you're trespassing. You got like five seconds before, you know, it's on. Please just sit there and give me that bag of mushrooms. Like, who the hell? You know, it was just nice. It was really fun. I didn't, and so, you know, and that was like for all shy people that have been kicked off of our own lands for gathering. I got to finally do that back and it felt great. Uh, and the poor guy was scared, but, you know, shouldn't have been on our land stealing. <laughs> and, uh, and the fact that we can now do that, you know, everything that goes with the coastal reserve, all the fishing, the, the traditional burials and uh, the dancing stuff and I mean, the cultural stuff, the kids, everything, the data that we do there, all, all the stuff's just so amazing. It was like what we had envisioned and seeing it come to fruition has been um, pretty cool. How to get you up there? We've got some some great uh, basket material and, and places. Oh, Elderberry. Um, I will make a note of that in my phone and keep you to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really like. I'm a big uh, supporter of land back, and um, you, that story of you guys getting that is just you know, it's a shining light that everybody can look at and be like, we are heading towards that goal um i i read a lot i watch a lot of documentaries and i i heard the statistic that said indigenous people only retain five percent of their original land base in their possession but 95 percent of ecological diversity is on that five percent of land right. that makes sense um there is this wonderful quote it always makes me cry it says you know as as much as you want the land back imagine how much the land wants us back mm. um it's really just been presence with the place and letting it be able to speak um in a language that it is has been speaking since time immemorial i think is is more important than than anything um it it's a a way of feeling in your soul and in your bones where your ancestors live so um thank you for sharing reno thank you so much for hopping on here i know you probably are hopping right off into the next thing so i'm going to say thank you um do you have any last uh words you want to say yeah no I, I guess just you know um there's there's a lot of people out there fighting some pretty heavy duty battles right now i'm in the health field too you know and former chair of the national indian health board and uh those battles that those those people like i see them all the time you know elders rachel joseph and oh man so many people that it means so much to to all of us nationally and uh you know and, and they're dying they're, they're they're passing on like monty bengochia people who were founders we're losing them and uh every day I try to include as many of them in my prayers as I can. And I think that's the big thing is just, yeah, at some point people got to reach out to those elders and like, just remind them of, of that their work is being carried on. And that's my challenge. So like to anybody listening, especially youth, like go mentor, find somebody that's not a creep, first of all, and that actually understands what they're doing. And uh, I know the difference, you know, know the difference between people that know culture from a book and people that know culture from a life way. Because there's two different things. So, you know, oh. so definitely if you're young and you're looking, you know, to how to be involved and where to, to put your energy, um, look at those that national leader group and how small it is and and just reach out, reach out to one of the melders and just say thank you, you know, because uh, it, 
we learned with the passing of Marshall McKay that, you know, it was so sudden in the way that it came about when that if you don't, you might lose that opportunity to tell those people, thank you. Uh, and, uh, and they deserve it. So, and thank you. Oh, thank you so much. What you said just reminded me of something that happened with my mommy this last week. And it it'll probably make me cry, but, um, we had a art gallery opening and I decided last year that I wanted to do art. I wanted to curate art and I actually just did the sixth show that I've done in one year. I did six and my mom said something to me, which cracked me up. She said, I'm going to just ride your coattails. And my mom, like I'm going to spend my whole life trying to be as cool as my mom. And I said to her, I said, I'm, you're not riding my coattails. I'm sailing in your wake. Like I couldn't do what I'm doing unless she went first. So if my mommy's listening, thank you to her. And thank you so much, Reno, for joining me. Um, and I'm sure that we will talk again. Oh, thank Absolutely. you so much. Have a great week. And have a good uh, Native American Heritage Month. Oh, that's right. All that's right. right. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Well, it is about time for me to leave, but I want to share something that happened that was really cool and leave you with one of my very favorite songs that I've played a couple of times for you. Um, Over this last weekend, uh, the Smith family organized a acorn festival, and it's the first one that's happened for their tribe for quite a while. Um, that is a path to healing for our people, reconnection to our food, reconnection to our language, um, as Reno said, connecting to our elders. And I'm going to play you uh, a song that she sent me that is the Acorn Kashaya song, and it has the voices of elders, um, and they're singing uh, in Kashaya language, and it's very, very beautiful, and it has been an honor to be with you. Make sure that you go out and do your duty as an American citizen and celebrate Native American Heritage Month and Native American Heritage Day, which will be November 25th. All righty. Belly water, bumbu chido. 
children. My father needs the spiritual nourishment. This is how I love my family. They can depend on me. this gift to the next generation. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.